to episode 48 of the Retrospectors podcast, Super Metroid. My name is Patrick Arthur and I'm joined as always by my co-host James Turlings. James, you keen to talk about one of the original Metroidvanias in this episode? Yeah, I am, Patrick. We haven't done one of these since we did good old Symphony of the Night in episode four, which is, you know, a whopping 44 episodes ago. It's been a while, hey? Yeah, it's been ages. Um, It's been ages, actually, uh, since I've played a Metroidvania. The most recent one I played was Ori 2. And it's a genre that ever since I got into Hollow Knight... Uh, has become one of my favorite. And of course, I've played uh, all the Dark Souls games, which have Metroid influences. But I'd never played Super Metroid, which in many ways is probably the most famous, most well-renowned of these titles. I know that many people consider it to be one of the best games ever made. So I was um, pleasantly surprised when you suggested it last week. No, you weren't. You were. You said you were doubting that this game would be fun. You were, you had your reservations even. Yes, I was sceptical because I've heard people describe the movement as being clunky, something that we'll get into later. But it's one of those games on my bucket list, you know? I, I don't know if you have games like that that you've always wanted to try um, but you've never quite got around. Well, those games are uh, kind of running thin at this point. We're 50 episodes in, and I think I've tried most of the ones I'd always desperately wanted to play, like uh, Silent Hill 2 and Cave Story, that kind of thing. But there's always more more to pick from. There's always more, although a lot of them tend to be long games, so yeah. <laughs> we'll make steady progress on them. So um, James and I are the Retrospectors podcast. Each and every fortnight, James and I play through a classic or vintage or something Sometimes even a niche game of the past. We play it through from start to finish in a fortnight, and uh, then we deliver judgment on whether that game has truly stood the test of time. James and I aren't interested in understanding in depth the historical context in which these games were made. We don't want to forgive games uh, for the limitations of hardware or anything like that. All we want to know is, How fun is this game to play today? Should you play it today when there are so many brilliant games that have been released in the past 30 years? Yeah, and of course, we do not talk to each other before starting the episode, so we come in fresh with some uh, hot takes for the other person to be uh, surprised, aghast, and uh, furious at, as uh, <laughs> has happened many times so far. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's more entertaining to have the arguments live instead yeah. <laughs> of recreating them for your benefit. So we, we saved the discussion for the day of the cast. Um, so before we get into an explanation of what Super Metroid is and our opinions, uh, I played on my um, SNES 9X emulator and I experienced zero issues. Everything ran silky smooth, literally zero issues. Was it the same for you, James? Yeah, me too. I haven't had any problems with this emulator since I've started using it. Um, it just worked flawlessly for me. I am grateful that these older emulators just work flawlessly. Um, PS2 emulators and stuff are just garbage. Yeah. These older ones. Yeah. Man, honestly, so, yeah. the best thing about console games is that they're much easier to get running than uh, old PC titles that uh, you know take a lot of a lot of config 
fake editing and funky fixes to get running on modern systems. Yeah, so you can play super. Um, you can play on an emulator super easily, and everything will run perfectly. So Super Metroid is shockingly um, an action adventure Metroidvania, and it was first released for the Super Nintendo in 1994. So it's the third in the Metroid series, and was developed and published by Nintendo. So. Metroidvanias, the term was properly coined when the original Metroid was released in 1986. It broadly refers to a genre of video games where which are characterized by things like non-linearity and finding and discovering upgrades to access areas that you couldn't otherwise access beforehand. So you'll start the game, you'll be at a location on the map, and you'll see um, a cliff that's too high for you to jump up to. Before you can get up there, you need a double jump upgrade, but you can't go that way at the moment. So you remember that there's a cliff there, you explore, eventually you find a double jump upgrade, and you can go to that place that you didn't go to before. Like I said, it's there are many other big popular games in this genre, um, Hollow Knight, and Ori in the Blind Forest are probably the two big ones. But this concept of non-linear exploration where you up you know you unlock upgrades and ways to access paths that you couldn't before um has become influential in 3d games and so many different games um that i love and are dear to my heart um we'll talk a little bit more about this later because i want to dive into the nature of how linear metroidvanias are and specifically how linear super metroid is but we'll um we'll cover that a bit later when we enter the level design of the game. Mm. Um, any comments on the genre of Metroidvanias before we get on to talking specifically about Super Metroid? So Symphony of the Night was by far my favorite in the genre that I've played so far. I loved its sense of style um, and the just the general feel of the moment to moment gameplay. Um, I wasn't as high on Hollow Knight as you were, although I do think it's quite a good game. Um, I found that, I don't know, there's something about it just didn't grip me. I couldn't put my finger on it exactly. Maybe maybe it's just a case that another game that I wanted to play came out um, shortly after its release and I never got around mm-hmm. to finishing it, but I'm not super high on the genre. Um, in general, I feel that oftentimes good platformers do the platforming better and, you know, side-scrolling beat-em-ups or other 2D games do, you know, ga- general moment-to-moment gameplay better. Although... I guess my favorite thing about the genre has historically been um, the discovering of secrets and new abilities around the world, and that's definitely something that's uh, present here in Super Metroid. Yeah, so I am coming in with a bit of bias because Hollow Knight is one of my favorite games of all time. Like, I love it to pieces. I've played it from start to finish like three times, got all the upgrades. I haven't quite conquered the pantheon of hollowness but i'm i've played the game a lot yeah so i have a predisposition to the genre now ever since i've played that game but um yeah it was it's very interesting going back to it uh to uh one of the originals uh 1994 um interestingly enough it makes you wonder why the vania part is even part of the portmanteau that makes the name because as far as i can see super metroid has all of the elements here two to four years before symphony of the night was even released but i guess that's just um castlevania was a big one at the time yeah i know there's a bunch of people that dislike the term but uh honestly it's just uh, easy to refer to the genre as that so 
Um, did we want to get into a bit of, into a bit of brief discussion about the intro, the story? There's not much to talk about. Yeah, so the um the story is basically that in the previous Metroid games, uh, Samus, uh, who is the player character, she beat the Metroid alien pirates, who are evil alien pirates, I guess. And while she was doing so, she rescued a uh, a creature. And the creature has the power to provide unlimited energy, which, you know, as always, that's a pretty strong MacGuffin. Um, you know, the galaxy is saved. Everything is going to be fine. Um, she leaves the room for a toilet break. Uh, and then the space pirates immediately crash into the space lab, steal it. And she has to hunt them down to try and rescue this uh, this creature and uh, get back the MacGuffin. You land you land on the planet where these where this space pirate base is, and you start exploring with the goal of hunting them all down and rescuing this creature. So you kind of land on this planet, Planet Zebes, and from there you go exploring down into the bowels of the planet through a whole bunch of different biomes and environments, which are all, I guess, interestingly de- themed and decorated around, I guess, a certain style. Um, but something that stood out to me and that I wanted to get your opinion on early um, is that I don't think that Super Metroid manages to flesh out this planet that you've landed on as well as a lot of games uh, flesh out their environments through a lot of interesting storytelling and you know dialogue and history and that kind of world building i agree i think there's a couple of elements to that the first is that the map actually isn't that big like uh compared to your symphony of the night or the hollow knight the just the sheer scale of the geography is a lot smaller so because there are less distinct areas it's harder to have a sense of place it's Mm. it's just a smaller place the second thing is that it feels like this is very much the ruins of a civilization yes um and while yeah, I mean that's a common setting in Dark Souls and Hollow Knight and everything, it feels like this civilization has decayed to the point where there's basically nothing left. It feels like you're mostly moving through cave-like substructures and a completely abandoned hallways. Um, the pirates have moved in and taken this place as their base, but there's no real living descendants of the people who used to live in this base. All you really get are the artifacts which you use for your upgrades. I think it succeeds in creating an atmosphere, yes. but there is an absence of detail. Yeah. And as I've mentioned in the Thief 2 episode, detail is essential in bringing a place to life. And without the detail, you still get a sense of atmosphere, but you don't really get a sense of the people who used to live on this station. It's just an abandoned space station. Yeah, later Metroid games, particularly the 3D entries, afford Samus the ability to kind of scan her surroundings and get like little info dumps about, you know, so many things about the environment that you kind of get these, ah. this sense of history and, you know, world building that just isn't present here. I have no idea, having gone through this game, why each of the areas looks the way it does, specifically, you know, the more mechanical um, and, you know, seemingly lived in areas. There is nothing really, 
you know, there's no context to connect any of these areas together, and I found myself really missing that um, as I played through this game. The environment itself looks quite nice, and I kind of, I like the visual design and direction and, you know, how distinct everything was, but I really wanted uh, some of my intrigue to be answered, or at least, you know, given some little tidbits here and there. I'm not necessarily asking for, you know, text dumps. I think uh, this game is... I think that in a few places in this game, it demonstrates that it has the ability for good non-text-based environmental storytelling. For example, there's a couple of places through the game where you are taught about almost hidden techniques by these, like, critters, which, you know, kind of demonstrate it in a very... Uh, I mean, I guess, dynamic subtle way, way, subtle way, yeah, without it being force-fed to you, and I really enjoyed that, and I really enjoyed a lot of the hints to, you know, stuff that had been going on on the planet, like the crashed spaceship, but it's just not enough. I really want a lot more to, you know, flesh out this place that I'm exploring to intrigue me to go and to explore the environment and ferret out every little detail that I can, and that wasn't here for me. Yeah, I, I, I think you make a fair point. Like when we played through the original System Shock, the, the reason I enjoyed the environmental storytelling so much was that there were all these little stories. It, I mean, it was still another ruined space station that had, you know, a calamitous event happen to it. But if you took out all of the audio logs um, and you just had the blood splattered on the walls and the corpses, it wouldn't quite be the same. And and I think that's a similar thing happening here. You have this super creepy space station with all these ancient artifacts and everything, but the pirates have just swooped in and taken control, and that's all you get for the story. Yeah. I just want to hammer home that it still nails the atmosphere. It's not... I don't think this is environmental storytelling done exceptionally well, but... I didn't mind it. It was just a lighter touch. Oh, yeah. In terms of the atmosphere, there's this pervasive sense of isolation that's present throughout the entire experience. You're very much alone on this journey, and the worlds and environments are very hostile. I agree with you that the environment design and the music especially... Um, really hammers home this like I guess not tense but almost lonely feeling throughout the experience you're in this strange environment and you know that's really delivered well to you I, I don't think that the way to solve the storytelling problem is to add like lots of text-based dialogue I think that having too much of a I guess humanoid presence in the game would ruin the the isolation atmosphere a bit but I just want more, you know, I guess visual visual clarity and information delivered to the player. I don't know. It, it, it didn't quite work for me. Perhaps what you want is visual uniqueness because I would say that there weren't a lot of... Like in Castlevania Symphony of Night, you have distinct rooms and you have a lot of like unique, visually memorable areas, whereas in Super Metroid, I don't think that's the case. So you don't get an idea of what this place used to look like or how it used to function. It's it's that far gone. Yeah, and none of the rooms seem functional either. Like, they're just rooms no. that are challenges for the player to platform over or for enemies to be, you know. You can never really go into many rooms and say, ah, this is a room that was used for this by the, you know, the prior civilization that inhabited it. The other thing it could have done, and... um. Once again, I'm turning to Dark Souls and Hollow Knight because these games kind of use a similar structure. Is that you will randomly run? It's a, they're both they're both games with feeling of isolation, 
uh, but occasionally you'll run into another NPC in the world. They're, they're not many, like you'll see one NPC in an entire area, and that NPC will have like these vague snippets of lore that by themselves don't actually tell you much. But like I said, if you can have just a few light details like that, it does so much to imply a whole lot. More. A whole lot, yeah. No, I yeah. agree. So, yeah. so just these weird. You'll talk to you'll talk to an NPC, and they'll talk about you know the old mad king, and all of a sudden, it all it all mm. just comes to life in your imagination. So, yeah, I I think you raise a valid point. I uh, it is very light on detail, but yeah, the the atmosphere is still there, and I think that uh, while it doesn't do it as well as other Metroidvania like games. I don't think this is a severe weakness of a game. It's just an area that it has been superseded at on some level. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I don't think um, it's a deal breaker by any means, but it was a criticism mm. that I uh, did feel a lot while playing through it. So um, I'm interested to actually follow up on that statement you made last week and at the beginning of this episode about the controls, mm. um, because, you know, going into this game, you seemed quite down. Like you said, you'd seen a lot of people playing this game and it looked... I don't know, less responsive and unfun to actually hold in your hands than, um, you know, maybe Hollow Knight or Castlevania was. So did it that end mm. up being the case? So I've come around on it a lot, um, and that's because I've taken the time to actually play the game to, to completion, so I actually have a much better feel for it. Um, I think that I'm pretty... I'm, like, pretty neutral on the controls. So there are a couple of things that irritate me about the controls the first is the jumping mm -hmm. so samus jumps extremely high but her ability to jump horizontally is atrocious like uh, and you can get a bit of an extra boost by running first but then it feels very awkward for me to hold that in my hands with the controller yeah but in general uh, and the other thing which is irritating is that the way you control, uh, the way you aim diagonally up and diagonally down is to use the shoulder buttons. Oh, you can use the D-pad with the, the corner buttons. Um, uh, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, I can see how you do that. But I, w I was just following the, um, the SNES mapping. So that took me a long time to get used to, uh, particularly the fact that you had to hold down the button and then release fire instead of kind of doing it at the same time. Um, I kept messing that up. Um, that being said, you can jump and shoot and run and shoot, which is a big improvement over like Earthworm Jim, where you have to stay still whenever you shoot. That was always mm. frustrating for me. And I think that the more I played, the more comfortable I felt playing this game. I don't think it's fun platforming, but I didn't have any problems controlling the character. It doesn't have the same tightness as Castlevania Symphony of the Night or Hollow Knight, but the fact that you can kind of move and jump around while charging your shots to shoot and everything means that it was a lot smoother than I was anticipating. Yeah, so I'm not as... I'm actually lower than you are on the controls. Um, specifically, mm -hmm. there's one part of the jumping that really, really grinds my gears, and that's... Wall jumping? Um, no, not wall jumping. I actually liked wall jumping, which is like a hidden move you kind of learn naturally by... a 
seen some, I guess, these little critters do it in front of you and then you kind of emulate mm. them. Um, I actually really liked that little bit of, you know, the detail there. It was really cool. Um, no, what actually kind of annoys me about the jumping is that in a lot of platformers, when you make a horizontal jump, um, if you're, uh, if you think you've overshot your mark, what you can do is you can like tap the opposite direction to cancel your momentum and you'll just kind of like fall downwards mm. here. It feels like if you're jumping left and then you tap right, you'll like, you won't just stop a bit and cancel your momentum. You will still, you'll move You'll move you significantly. Kind of jerk back a little bit, right? Yeah. You, you. So what ends up happening is instead of stopping and falling down, you'll move right a bit and then fall and miss the platform a lot of the time. It's something I got used to. It's like you have to like jump past the platform, then tap right to like jerk backwards onto it, and it feels wrong having played so many more modern platformers where you know it just cancels your momentum. I really found it hard to get used to um, over the course of the game. And even once I had kind of, you know, consistently was able to do it, it just felt unnatural and uncomfortable for me. Yeah, it's kind of um, it's kind of ironic because Castlevania Symphony of the Night, one of the things I loved about that game is how tight the controls are. Mm-hmm. Like the controls are really impeccable um, on par with Hollow Knight's, you know, a game that was released 20 years later. And that game has basically zero platforming in it. This game has heaps of platforming, heaps of platforming. as you move around. And it doesn't but, uh, feel great, it does feels, it? The, the only time it feels reasonable is when you actually are sending those huge shafts with platforms because it's so vertical. Yes. So it kind of suits your It suits, suits your the movement a lot more. Yeah, it, the sideways yeah, platforming I really did not enjoy. It feels it. bad. Yeah, I didn't like it at any point in the game. I agree with you. Vertical platforming where you're making these you know huge jumps with little adjustments left and right, great. Those were fine. Um, and I liked when those were augmented with your abilities. Horizontal-based rooms, really, really frustrating, honestly. Um, I literally just started being lazy and taking lots of damage. Like, I'd be like, yep, fall into spikes, fall into lava, jump back out. I mean... Because I just couldn't be bothered trying to get perfect platforming. Yeah, me too. I mean, and the health... The way the health system works in this game, uh, you, you gather a lot of health upgrades throughout the experience through exploring and through beating bosses um, and getting the energy packs. Um, and, you know, I found almost during the entire experience that I never really felt bad about taking damage at all because it was so easy to get health back from, you know, abusing respawning enemies and that kind of thing. I never felt bad for not being able to dodge an enemy, um, and a lot of times I just kind of brute forced rooms by um, kind of shooting and walking forward because I had so much health. And you know, like you, I was doing that for rooms that had a lot of spikes on the floor. You know, it's like, oh, I missed the jump, whatever, no big deal. Mm. This, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not a insta death platform or anything. And I, I don't know, I, I find, kind of felt like it cheapened a lot of the rooms for me. They didn't feel as meaningful. And I never felt super accomplished because of how generous the health was in this game. Yeah, it's not like Hollow Knight where if you land on spikes, it just sends you back. You yeah. can you can pretty much just run through any obstacle once you've got um, a couple of energy tanks. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the um, the combat, which I guess is the other half of movement and controls and how it feels. Um, what I'd like to talk about is how... This is a Metroidvania with a combat system that is primarily ranged. 
Yes. Whereas I'd say that most of the other Metroidvanias that I've played have an emphasis on melee combat. Ori, Ori 2 is a little different in that it gives you diverse weapon styles, but Hollow Knight in particular and Castlevania, the primary way you're engaging with combat, although there are obviously spells and everything, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's that one-dimensional, is, you know, hitting people in melee range. Uh, I think that after playing this game that for this kind of era of platformers ranged combat is actually a lot more enjoyable than melee combat what one of the problems i had with castlevania symphony of the night is that because enemy tells were less sophisticated and because your hitbox and the enemy hitboxes were much larger compared to something like hollow knight i you would get hitbox collisions a lot. Like, uh, you didn't have the finesse over, you know, precisely dodging in Castlevania because you often had to be so close to the enemy to actually hit them. I felt with Super Metroid that although it was difficult, when I could maintain more distance between me and the enemy while attacking them, I had more room to maneuver to dodge enemy attacks. I still got hit by a lot of enemy attacks, particularly the bosses. Um, They took me a long while to learn, but I felt far more capable of dodging enemy attacks when I had more room to maneuver. I think having a character who attacks primarily through ranged means gives a lot more options through the boss design in particular. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot more there are a lot more projectiles and things to dodge which and you know you can dodge and attack um, with that kind of design whereas in Castlevania I feel like they have to specifically have these phases where they do a lot of attacks and then they let you get close to get a few hits in whereas here mm-hmm. it's much more the flows a lot better there's there isn't this huge separation um, you're just constantly in this flow state of trying to dodge and shoot back uh, and you know return fire which I thought was quite engaging aging um Mm. however i don't think it's as strong um in you know just for the regular enemies um i found that in a lot of cases i basically walked into a room was mashing the the fire button without giving a shit about where i was standing because you know it would just hit things because it shoots across the entire room it would you know um i don't have to pay attention to my positioning when the enemies weren't you know spewing out projectiles for me to dodge it became kind of boring honestly outside of the boss fights yeah that's that's a valid point certainly with uh, enemies like the axe knights in castlevania um symphony of the night there is a you have to have a strategy to actually mm. kill them whereas the strategy in this game is largely the same i i think in general the enemy design is far less interesting than castlevania symphony of the night it, it's very generic and and you know you just get all these upgrades of old enemies as you go through i think visually all the enemies are really cool looking there's a lot of yes. really weird enemies in this game and i think they nail the alien aesthetic but, you know, in terms of gameplay, all the enemies in this game are boring as hell to fight outside of the boss fights. Uh, there are, you know, I, I don't know, you just, you walk into the room, you mash the shoot button, and um, I mean, if you have a lot of missiles, you mash missiles, um, and they just, they die, they don't, you know, there's, there's like, there's a single enemy in the game later on that you kind of have to bait out this jump kick attack for it to be, you know, vulnerable to being shot at, and I found that fun to fight. And then every other enemy in the game is just you aim at them and you shoot and they, they die in like two hits. I think we'll, we'll talk about this separately, but 
I think the game is most interesting against those average enemies in the first, like, third of the game before you become insanely overpowered and you actually have to worry about your health and all those kinds of things. But as you grow in power, the enemy, the regular enemies just cannot keep up with you. Yeah. And so they become, they become meaningless. The main thrust of my argument was mainly in relation to the boss fights, which I think are a significant upgrade over the Castlevania Symphony of the Night um, boss fights, which for the most part, I think are medi- mediocre. And there's actually like quite a lot of variety between them too. Um, mm. Some of them have a lot of very significant gimmicks to them, which, you know, sometimes gimmicks can be pretty hit or miss. But I thought that in almost all cases here, they were quite fun and it was enjoyable to finish, you know, to find out the, you know, the puzzle and the solution to each boss. Um, I, I, I quite enjoyed them. They're definitely the highlight of my game. Although I will say... I did find the Ridley fight to be really disappointing compared to a lot of the others. Uh, what what did you find disappointing about it? There was just nothing special about it. You just like shot at him and dodged his attacks. That was it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I um I I found it fun trying to dodge his attacks. In, in the end, it, once again. So so let's talk about difficulty for a second. Okay. Uh one one of the things that I adore about Hollow Knight is that. It's a difficult game, and it's one where you achieve victory not by becoming overpowered by finding items or upgrades, although you definitely become stronger, and if you're searching literally every nook and cranny, the game can become significantly easier. But the primary way in which you overcome your challenges is that you need to get good. You need to learn the mechanics of the boss. You need to learn the timing of the dodges, Etc. 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 You you need it's it's more about you improving your abilities yes. than your character becoming stronger, and the game in a lot of ways requires that of you in order to overcome its challenges. It says you must learn how to beat this boss in order to beat it. Super Metroid and I think a lot of games from this era, um, they not not all of them, but there are a lot of games that don't actually require you to get good at beating the boss and i think that's kind of a problem for the enjoyability of these boss fights i'm not saying that there should be an expectation that you do these fights perfectly but when your character becomes so strong that you can essentially tank your way through most of the damage it makes the victory a lot less satisfying yeah, I mean, I think having these kind of mechanics that let less skilled players, um, you know, if they explore enough and get enough health and missile upgrades that they can have an easier time beating the boss, I think that's perfectly fine. And if, you know, you're a stronger player, you can, you know, not do that and, you know, have a harder time. Um, I just, I think that a lot of the, the, you know, these boss fights aren't super hard. Um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the way the save systems work in these old games. Like, it's way more punishing in this kind of game um, if you need to, you know, reload your save and then run all the way back to the fight than I think in a lot of modern titles. Although, I will say Super Metroid does do a good job of having a lot of save rooms near boss fights. Um, so mm-hmm. I never found that to be particularly frustrating. I did play it for a while... Um, using it in the traditional, uh, using these save rooms 
uh, in the traditional sense, and I found it fine, but, you know, uh, being able to play on an emulator and just making a save outside the boss room, I found that was, you know, a lot less tedious for me. And I basically have that feeling about all these old games, which uh, have these very uh, strict saves. I think the key thing is that uh that idea of the boss run the question is is the boss run meaningful once you know how to do the boss run then doing it over and over again is less valuable but uh you know one of the things that dark souls and even Sekiro increasingly do is that as you get towards the end game they literally just start putting a save state before the final boss because there's no value to putting you against a few chump enemies. But there is value in, I guess, making you repeat uh, repeat some earlier content when you haven't mastered that earlier content. Uh, I know that uh, when I first started playing Dark Souls, that run you do um, past the firebombing skeletons, past the uh, regular hollows with shields and, you know, you know, to get to the Taurus Demon yes. is one where every time I died, I methodically fought my way through <laughs> because I was still learning how to play the game. And there, there, there is, what I'm trying to say is there is sometimes value in boss runs, but if it's just a time-wasting exercise, then yeah, I can get behind chucking a save point yeah, behind before the boss. The boss. Yeah, because yeah, you're, not, you're not getting anything meaningful out of doing that run. Yeah, I didn't find any of the bosses particularly challenging, but they were, like, engaging enough that I enjoyed them. Um, I particularly liked the gimmicky boss fights. There's particularly this one where that you end up killing it by, like, electrifying it by, you know, interacting with the environment. I really thought that was cool um, because it was something you hadn't seen before. The the boss that, when I was like, man, these bosses are cool, were the boss, I think it's called Crate. It's the giant green The monster. giant green one, yeah. Yeah, and after you after you shoot it, it kind of bursts through the floor yeah. and you have to jump onto the next floor. I'm like, this is actually really fucking cool like mm-hmm. and i think that there was just enough going on with his with his attacks how he had to keep dodging the platforms that you could also stand on and also dodge the um the i guess there were bones or something that were kind of bouncing diagonally around the screen yeah. it was um i kind of got into that fight with not much health either because there's <laughs> like a there's a couple of like I, I don't know if it's a mini boss. There's there's a thing shooting things at you down a hallway. Yes, and then you have to kill the door. And I I went in with not much health, so that that boss fight uh, took me took me a while to beat. And I I really enjoyed it. That was um that was before I was too overpowered. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about the upgrades in this game? Because that is a significant yeah. part of uh, the experience of one of these. Old... Actually, do you want to have a music break? Let's take a music break. Yes. Yeah, it's about time for a music break. Yeah. So do you want to go with your song first, James? Um, yeah, sure. So with the soundtrack, I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I think there are some really great tracks which enhance the atmosphere and that feeling of isolation that's present throughout most of the experience. And then there are some other, I think, really mediocre and forgettable tracks that when I went back to listen to the soundtrack, I couldn't even remember. These are soundtracks like uh, the one in the wrecked ship I thought was particularly disappointing because you're in a really cool, spooky environment and the soundtrack just... You know, it should be even more isolated and spooky and tense when you're in here, and it's just, it's not as good as the earlier levels uh, OST. 
So the soundtrack that I chose to play for you guys today was my favorite one in the game, and that's the one that plays in the the jungle kind of vegetation area of Brinstar kind of early on. Has this like uh, this real jungle beat while also maintaining that you know that feel of loneliness and isolation and adventure. Um, into a you know a f scary and unknown world, and I thought it was by far the best track in the game. So uh, here is Brinstar Vegetation. That was Brinstar Vegetation. I, I really enjoyed it. Patrick, how did you feel about the soundtrack? Uh, like you, I had mixed feelings. I think that the soundtrack is thematically on point in that it really does help sell this feeling of isolation and loneliness. Uh, I think that there are plenty of individual tracks that are rather repetitive and yes. a little dull. There are multiple tracks which just kind of they're not quite looping, but there's very little variety in noise. And unlike something like the Thief soundtrack, I think that, which which is a very subtle soundtrack, like there's mm. very little, it's kind of like more, it's very atmospheric. I think that this needed a bit more going on, a bit more variety, a bit more, a, a bit more complexity to these compositions. Um, obviously... I don't want literally the music from Super Mario World because that's a completely different atmosphere. But Super Mario World soundtracks were so much more complex and interesting than most of the ones um, in, present here. Um, I think that the uh, the boss music was pretty good. Like yeah, that, that's pretty an good. example of a fairly complex piece. But for the most part, I just wish there was a bit more depth. Um, there is one piece that I'll highlight a little later as being my favorite, which I think just with very little sells the atmosphere perfectly. But uh, yeah, not the not the strongest Super Nintendo soundtrack I've ever listened to, but but still fine. And like I said, very thematically on point. This isn't a um, this isn't an Archimedean dynasty situation where <laughs> the music serves to undermine the atmosphere. Yeah, it's or you a... know, System Shock. Yeah. Fine is the way I would describe it. It's uh, fine with some very good moments. Yeah, that's the gist of it. Um, so did you want to move on to the exploration? We spoke a bit about the controls and the movement and the combat. And, uh, you know, that's, I guess, uh, the exploration really is the hallmark of this genre. Um, so compared to the other titles that we've done, and indeed the modern titles that we've played, 
do you think that Super Metroid fared in terms of, you know, finding uh, finding things that you can't get past only to come back later with, uh, you know, to defeat with your new abilities? Well, I think this is a good time to return to that point I raised earlier. Um, this idea of the linearity of yes. uh, Metroidvanias. So metroidvanias on the face of it the whole genre is an extremely open one it's like here's this big open world and as you acquire upgrades you get access to new areas uh now depending on the metroidvania it's not nearly as open as you think because if you can only really go to one place to utilize x upgrade and when you use x upgrade you unlock y upgrade and that unlocks this area it's actually, in a lot of ways, the illusion of non-linearity. Yes. And I would say that Super Metroid, of the Metroidvanias I've played, is the most, most linear. Most linear, um, correct, yes. Yeah. And I will I will specify that this is specifically in terms of, like non, of, of following the intended path that the developers have set in front of you. I have seen Super Metroidvania speedruns multiple times, actually. They're a staple of the, um, of the speedrunning things where they do some fairly ridiculous things. Like there's the reverse boss order one where apart from <laughs> Mother Brain, they kill every boss in reverse order by sequence breaking. But for for the most part, it feels like you're you're going along the predestined path, yeah. Yeah, because uh, early on, it feels like you enter a new room and there'll be like three doors: door one, two, and three. But you'll only have key one, so you have to go through door one because you can't open the other two. And then you'll get the new item, you'll come back to the room, and then you can open the next door, but not the third door. So really, you're not really making any exploration decisions here. I never really felt like I had much agency over where I was exploring. It just felt like it was funneling me through the zones, um, depending on what upgrade I'd found at the time. Um, and I would I guess... actually say this is pretty similar to Ori and the Blind Forest in terms of its level progression. Mm. And I'd say it deviates, like Hollow Knight is a game that definitely deviates from this. It still does have that a little bit. There is there is like a recommended-ish path you can follow, but that game is far more nonlinear. Like it, there are some absolutely weird and wonderful paths you, you can take through that game even without really trying, and it, and it gives you these difficult and dangerous areas that you can go to if you so choose. Um, so yeah, now now all that said, I don't want to say this is a bad thing. Like I I don't I don't actually have a problem with with a linear game because I think that Super Metroid still is still fairly subtle about it. It's very much a I describe it as like a show don't tell sort of situation. In that instead of literally forcing you through a series of corridors, it kind of gives you an upgrade and lets you use it. And to me, that is still more enjoyable than a purely linear experience. Yeah, I didn't really mind it, but I I guess what I really want is to feel clever for applying a new tool in a new area. Um, mm. It does have that a little bit with kind of the upgrades you find hidden around the place. And, you know, certainly there was a few times where I thought, oh, I bet that wall's breakable. And then, you know, it's like, aha, it was. 
Um, but I definitely didn't get that kind, that same kind of feeling as I did when playing through, you know, Symphony of the Night, or even, you know, what I played of Hollow Knight. Um, so, in, in, you know, in a sense, that was lacking a bit for me. But, you know, I agree with you. It's not a huge problem. Um, and honestly, for somebody who's never played one of these games before, it's probably, you know, pretty good um, to have something that's not as, you know, I guess, demanding um, for your spatial awareness. I have to say, I didn't really get those moments I got in Hollow Knight and Symphony of the Night where it's like, ooh, I can go through here on the opposite side of the opposite side of the map. Let me remember that. And then I returned with a specific upgrade. I, I kind of felt like I, I wasn't like hopping around the map nearly as much as I did in Castlevania. Like there'd be a specific thing I'd remember in Castlevania that I could access with the double jump that that's where I'd go and I'd find a cool secret didn't really get that i was just kind of like the mental list of uh things you have to return to later i wasn't really keeping track of that either and i kind of felt uh disappointed by that and another thing that i mean now that you mention it that i think this game doesn't quite do as well as those games um is have a lot of good shortcuts between the world Mm, that's that's an excellent one yeah there are a few um but for the most part i found myself backtracking through the same hallways and particularly this one vertical shaft uh, a lot of times throughout the game and i was starting to get a bit annoying near the end honestly it is nice that you get the fast run to get through certain areas yes so you can just blitz through it at super fast i did appreciate mm. that but yeah there's no fast travel network um that is alleviated by the fact that the map isn't huge though like once again this is not a map the size of castlevania symphony of the night or hollow night it is a lot more compact and dense yeah uh, but but yeah of course if i could if there were five teleport rooms that i could move between i'd very much appreciate very much appreciate that yeah um it does get a lot easier to navigate the world once you get you know enough upgrades um one thing that i did like um about the upgrade system in this game is that you get a lot of movement options later on which kind of you know there was that one shaft i was complaining about where it's really it's this huge red vertical shaft that has you know uh it takes like a minute to get from the bottom to the top but as you progress through the game navigating it becomes significantly easier because you get a higher jump um, eventually the ability to fly a grapple a a way to freeze enemies to turn them into platforms and so kind of every time i return to it to climb it from the bottom to the top i did it a bit differently because of the you know the abilities i had access to and i did appreciate that i'll also mention that that relatively linear progression does just get completely opened up when you get flying Mm -hmm. flying is kind of like the last significant upgrade you get and that's the game going go wherever the fuck you want it's kind of like the um the bat upgrade in castlevania symphony of the night so at that point you can go anywhere but it just doesn't have the um it is a sweet upgrade too like when you find that you're like holy shit this is great i get to go wherever the fuck i want yeah so there you you can get all the you know missile and upgrades that you're missing before etc etc so that is that is a good one and it comes at about the right time i think yeah how did you feel overall about the progression with your abilities um early on i was actually extremely low on it because the first abilities you get are like a bomb and then a missile and then a super missile and it felt like i was getting the same ability three times just 
like coded differently and it was really boring um and then you progress later into the game and you get really really cool upgrades like uh, uh a freeze beam hook. and the grappling hook and flight and the super sprint um which open up all these movement and platforming options and make the game a lot more fun once you have them and then you get these like these suits that let you run faster underwater and even swim in lava um, and those are really cool and then you get the super bombs, which are just another boss. Um, so, you know, but mixed feelings. But uh, I think it's definitely more enjoyable near the, the latter half of the game, upgrade-wise. I, I think the upgrades were excellent because not only were they impactful and they pretty much all made you fa- feel more powerful, they um they come thick and fast. Yes. This, yeah. this is not a game that rations out upgrades it's a, not even a game that even makes you like prove yourself for the upgrades through going through a gauntlet. It just starts handing them out. I think the eventual problem with that is, as I've alluded to, the game's difficulty becomes trivial the further you get into it. Yes. But it feels fantastic to get the upgrade, and it I like that it isn't stingy with them. One of the things about, like, I love Hollow Knight, but oh boy, is it stingy with its upgrades. Like, you start off with nothing and you have to go through these big long sections to get, like, the dash. And then you have the dash and that's your only upgrade. Yeah, until, yeah. You know, you get the wall climb two hours later. So um, I I really enjoyed the pacing of the upgrades. That is by far my favorite part of this game outside of the boss fights is how often you get new abilities. Like, it is very rapid. Um, you can get them, you know, like 15 minutes apart or 10 minutes apart. They, they, they come hard and fast and they are all... And, you know, for the most part, they're all functionally unique and allow you to play the game differently. I, I agree with you. I really appreciated that. Um, what I kind of missed from the newer Metroidvanias um, was the ability to customize your character. Um, something that, you know, Hollow Knight and Symphony of the Night did is that they give you these kinds of weird armors and charms and all sorts of things to find and equip. Um, While the abilities you find in Super Metroid are really cool, the majority of things you find in Hidden Passages are just missile upgrades. Um, And, you know, you start the game with like five to ten missiles, and near the end of the game, if you've been diligent enough, you can have like 200 or something um when you only get like five extra per upgrade so like 90 percent of the time you just find more missiles and you don't really need more than i don't know like 50 to 80 um to comfortably beat the game so i found the exploration a bit kind of unrewarding as a result of that so i don't know if you remember but all the way back when we did our castlevania Symphony of the night upgrade one of the disagreements we had was you were really into the rpg systems and like the things whereas i was like i i don't really this doesn't do anything for me so the thing is i actually don't mind the absence of customization like i i think that the fundamental the fundamentals of shooting and dodging and everything and missiles and bombs and everything. I think there's enough going on and I think it's solid enough that it doesn't need the customization thing. And yes, I do like Hollow Knight's customization, but for the most part, I just found a style that suited me and stuck to it. And it was mainly, you know, having a longer, longer and faster attack. 
From a gameplay impact, I agree with you. I don't think it needed much more depth gameplay-wise, but the actual reward for exploring seemed so minimal to me. Like, I just did not care about finding missile packs, like, a couple hours into the game. I had so many of these things lying about. It was just, like, it wasn't exciting anymore. Yeah, and part of the problem is that the it's easy enough to kill the enemies anyway. So having getting more missiles doesn't necessarily help. I can see that. Um... My problem was more in the way in which you discovered secrets, which is to plant bombs and shoot fucking everywhere. Yeah. And it felt very haphazard. I, I think secret, it's, it feels really good to discover a secret when you, when you discover it, not when you drop 30 bombs around the room in the hope of, that something will blow up. And that's how I felt playing this game. It was bomb literally everything yes and then if you bomb literally every tile then one of them's going to open the secret compare that to when we played thief and i found a secret passage you know behind in an unusual location that feels incredible except encasing the joint that was boring as shit uh, yeah listen i we've gone <laughs> and on enough about that shitty mission <laughs> but but when you when you discover something like that it feels meaningful this secret discovery process of dropping bombs everywhere i don't think is very enjoyable like it, it's just not you, you don't get the faint same feeling like i've earned this discovery of the secret it's just well I'm just going to bomb everything and eventually, hopefully, I find something. I thought it was really cool um, at the start of the game, but the fact that almost every room has, like, some hidden breakable block kind of takes the novelty out of it about halfway through the game and to the point where it's just kind of tedious. Like, you, you just know there's some stupid block that you need to shoot, like, a specific mm. kind of missile into, and then, like, I don't know, it kind of wore thin on me. I was kind of... You know, the the surprise of finding something cool just wasn't there for me by the end of the game anymore. Let's, uh, how much how much more do you have in your notes, James? I think it's about time for another music break. Uh, not too much. Um, go on. You, you, I know you've got a, I know you've got a song that you want to share with people. Yeah. So, so the the song I want to share is Brinstar Red Soil Swampy Area. So as I said, for the most part, I thought the music was fine, if a bit repetitive in places. But this was, to me, was definitely the highlight of the atmospheric music that there was. It's kind of, you've got, it's got like this subtle percussion. It's got bits of choir that come in momentarily. Not, not like big, long choir voices, just like almost chanting. And yeah, it's, it's a subtler track. It, and it just speaks to me. Like I could, I, I could listen to this. Um, for ages most of the other tracks when i was in those areas i got sick of them but this one i was very content to listen to it non-stop so this is my favorite track from super metroid brinstar red soil swampy area
That was Brinstar Swampy Area, Patrick's favourite track in the entire game. Um, and uh, to contrast with that, let's talk about my least favourite thing in the entire game, which was <laughs> the entire section of Meridia, which I hated from start to finish. Meridia is um, the underwater section? Yeah, the, the, the level that you go to after the ship. It's very large, very confusing, um, and the la- like the layout... And the you know the meaning behind the layout makes no sense from start to finish. I found it to be a real chore to get through from start to finish. Um, probably like the bit where I was least enjoying the game. I actually got pretty frustrated very early on the game uh, with with North Star. You know the lava area. Yeah. Like because I got inverted commas stuck multiple times. Where <laughs> I was like, I don't know what the fuck I meant to do, and then. And then after, you know, going back and forth and bombing everything and actually, you know, using my brain on a couple of occasions, which which I hate doing, uh, <laughs> I eventually I eventually figured it out and felt like an idiot because it was very obvious what I was meant to do. Uh, but once I was able to get through that area um, and I realized that you're meant to bomb every tile and shoot everything and try every pathway... I felt pretty fine with the level design, and I don't think I hate it. I, I mean, I wasn't like super hot on Meridia, but I didn't hate it. Well, t- tell me what about it exactly was it what you hated? Was it that it was more open, like there was there was less corridory, or I felt that there were a lot of dead ends and a lot of really mm. hidden passages where, like, you could think something was a dead end and that it wouldn't be, and you just have to like be running around this huge area until you found the exact place to go. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it wasn't enjoyable for me. Um, I did like. I think that's where you get the um, the ability to fly. Um, and that was probably the highlight of it for me. But other than mm. that, I just found it like my enjoyment throughout that entire area was so much less than the rest of the game. Um, I can't exactly pinpoint why, um, but I just found it to be convoluted and uninteresting visually. Well, let's let's take a moment to dive in on level design again, because you and I have spoken a lot about the macro level design of metroidvanias and super metroid yeah and how we broadly think it's it's pretty good like it's not to me i wouldn't put on the level of hollow knight but you know there's very few games i put on a level of hollow knight but i think that this show don't tell subtle pushing you towards the right area thing even if it ends up being linear i i think that's good and enjoyable and i yeah i do too what I think is not as good, what I think is poor, is what I describe as like the moment to moment level design or the, yeah. the micro level design of Super Metroid, which is primarily a bunch of corridors stapled together. With a bunch of uninteresting, unchallenging enemies scattered through them. I do think that in general it's quite poor. Um, however, I will throw a highlight out to the freeze beam and the grapple beam for making some actually really enjoyable areas with interesting, you know, challenges and platforming and gameplay. Um, I think any room that features either the freeze beam or the grapple beam was always really fun and that the rest were probably pretty boring, honestly. I'd, I'd, I'd say that uh, if I looked at every room and split them into those two groups, I reckon the ones I liked were uh, 
the grapple and the freeze ones almost 100% of the time. Yeah, I, I quite like the freeze beam. I thought that was a really cool way to have a weapon that was good in combat but also did interesting things with platforming. Yes. Uh, having that dual purpose really makes it feel special and um and useful. To me, the, the problem is twofold. There's a lack of visual distinctness from area to area. Like in Symphony of the Night and Hollow Knight and stuff, I, I had a very... I could build a mental map of these areas a lot easier because the layout felt very distinct. Um, okay. I think Super Metroid has too many corridors, basically. It, it, there's, just, there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of corridors. And I think that when you have a lot of corridors those corridors start to blend together yeah um they do part of it's a visual problem i just can't it's not this is the clock tower you know well i mean that's also a pro like goes back to our problem with the environmental storytelling right like in symphony Mm. of the night you say this is a mansion and this is the x room like the clock room or whatever the library or whatever. yeah it has a purpose in super metroid you can't point to any room and say this is the room you know for x it's like i don't know maybe that's the room with all of those grapple points vertically yeah um but that's like that's like the extent that you can do it that's the really long annoying shaft that i have to keep coming back to but it's really hard to kind of label these rooms as being distinct from one another Mm -hmm. and i mean the other thing is as you suggested it's a um it's not just a visual thing it's a mechanical thing because you're you know because the enemies are easily disposed of and because the platforming challenges are easily tanked through you don't have these things like i can think of hollow knight and i can think of the um the queen's palace area which is sorry the queen's garden which is an area quite late in the game but it has these collapsing platforms as you jump on them they collapse under you and you need to platform from you know move from platform to platform or i remember rooms with um these big massive you know you've got these gemstone caverns and you've got all these crushes of the gems and everything and yeah. i remember the rooms because mechanically they feel very unique and unique to that area um so while i'm pretty high on super metroid's like macro level design i think that it's micro level design is actually quite weak and you yeah. know not not incredibly fun to move through especially because a lot of it is very platforming but there's a lot of platforming challenges and as i've said before i yeah, thought the, the controls yeah it didn't feel very good so you know it's not super fun um i don't know it just i wish i really wish the enemies were more interesting to fight i wish there was more mechanical variety between them um, I wish the the levels were more visually uh, the the individual rooms were more visually distinct, um, and that they were just more fun to navigate. Full stop. Um, do you yeah. want to do you want to talk about graphics uh, for a bit now that we're talking about the clarity of the visuals? I guess. Yeah, I mean, actually, yeah. uh, this is a SNES game, um, and I'm actually really high on the visuals for its era. Um, I think that, you know, most modern indie titles probably look better than this game, but it honestly, I think it holds up really well visually. Um, it's got a great use of color. Um, the enemy's visual design is great and varied throughout the game, even if they're not mechanically distinct. The bosses all look excellent. I love all of, uh, I love the visual design of every boss in this game. Um, you know, this is probably 
yeah, this is this is good. I think it did a really good job, and I think it still looks pretty enjoyable for the most part. Yeah, I think the graphics are great. Um, what the two things I want to emphasize the thing James has touched on, but these are the things that stood out to me. The bosses were fantastic. Yeah, like the, these bosses they they were all different. Like they all had their own look to them. I particularly liked how you know they varied from these grotesque monstrosities to like a steel-covered velociraptor to a plant monster. Like, not only was there... Not only did they all look good, there was an insane amount of visual variety on show. While they were still all, you know, identifiably, you know, xenomorphs. So, yeah, fantastic. Also, the other thing I wanted to crack in on is that, like James said, there is a lack of... I guess you'd say detail in the background environments, but they nail the color palette. Yes. The color palette is a far more restrained one. You know, there's not a lot of super bright colors, but there's still a lot of diversity in colors. And I think Super Metroid has this very iconic look. Like, I. I can still see it in my mind's eye. It's very different from the goofy cartoon brightness of, you know, Super Mario, but it's still, it's like this grim, desolate space station, um, you know, intersected with the catacombs. And it, yeah, it, it just brings it to life beautifully. Yeah, they even got some nice little particles flying through the air in these, like, these areas with these dusty, uh, eroded life and, you know, decaying plants. Uh, and there's a lot of contrast and fading. Uh, I think it did a great job here. Um, I, I it, really like the look. And even Samus's animations for the way she moves are visually impressive for the time, too. Uh, to the point I, love when I, think... she, I love when she power runs and just starts smashing through Smashing through stuff? It's so yeah, satisfying, looks, yeah. looks really cool yeah um and then you can do the super jumps as well which you you know you kind of learn by falling down this big pit and then having this other monster teach you how to do it and it was like a mm. oh shit moment i could have been doing that this entire time uh, I, I, um, I really enjoyed those moments i i want to point out also that the graphics are somewhat realistic they're not not like like it's still cartoon. No, sorry, bear with me, James. I'm I'm not saying it's like literally Call of Duty. I'm saying that it's kind of going for a more realistic world because it's like a sci-fi world. It's not yeah. Super Mario cartoon world. I uh, mean, it's more it's just, more mature. Is what you're trying to it's say? It's more right? it's more mature. This is this is a sci-fi setting that is theoretically in in the future of ours. You know, it's not. It's not a fairy tale, uh, but despite its realistic and in inverted commas setting, it still manages to put a lot of color and life into its graphics without yeah. it being overpowering neon colors, which is stands in stark contrast to, you know, your Call of Duties and those <laughs> realistic games of that ilk. So I just wanted to, you know, say this is this is brilliantly done and it shows how you can use color in games even that aren't you know, more mature, realistic games that you wouldn't think would have that sort of uh, variety of color. I guess the last thing that kind of, like, impressed me about this game is that, uh, you know, a SNES controller doesn't have a lot of buttons on it, and I was very impressed that you get 
so many upgrades in this game um and it never kind of overwhelms your inputs uh if that makes sense like mm-hmm. when you get the freeze beam your beam always freezes things and lots of abilities just kind of augmented your basic attack which allowed you to do a lot more in the in the world um without you know becoming cumbersome i gotta say though i don't really like the way you switch between uh your selected weapon uh of having it just be this a single button that cycles through was kind Mm. of tedious at points but you know for the most part i was actually kind of impressed how much you know they managed to pack into this uh you know limited control scheme yeah that's that's the kind of thing which nowadays you'd use the um the sticks and then that would just be on the d-pad right (laughs) it would just be bang 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 my four my four uh my four items um yeah like i said it was it was tricky to control at first but once i'd played for a few hours it did become second nature and i think that samus is like far easier to control than um than simon in the original castlevania (laughs) a game that I mean, for all of its precision, it gives you such a limited axia control that it always frustrated me. I, I like how you're you're still quite mobile as as Samus, even if I do have frustrations with the um with the jumping. Okay, well that's about all I've got, James. You ready to move on to final impressions? Yeah, let's do it, Patrick. What did you think of uh, Super Metroid? Uh, Super Metroid is excellent. I really, really like this game. The most praise that I can give to it is that I want to play it again. I think that it has its problems. Like a lot of the mechanical moment-to-moment things you're doing as you're moving through its world aren't really enjoyable. But I think that the movement, once you get the hang of it, is is enjoyable to use. I think the boss fights are fantastic. I think that the concept of ranged attack in a metroidvania is one that i haven't really properly explored and i enjoyed that as a as a distinction and more than anything else i enjoyed the pacing of this game i think that the the speed at which you get upgrades and the um the speed at which you explore its world is really really enjoyable like once you start playing this game it's actually hard to put down because you just want to keep going a bit further getting a bit more powerful seeing the next new thing and it's able to push you gently through that areas without you know yelling in your face you must go through this passageway uh it's hard for me to say whether this is a better game or not than symphony of the night uh i think that in terms of which would i rather replay it's it's super metroid like castlevania symphony of the night is a brilliant beautiful game that i love to bits but this game felt more novel and different to the other Metroidvanias I've played. So um, overall, two big thumbs up. I think it's a fantastic game. I think it has easily stood the test of time, but there are definitely some parts of this game, the moment-to-moment shooting and mechanical you know, platforming and stuff, that are definitely weaker than modern Metroidvanias. So this isn't the... I don't think it's the best Metroidvania ever made, but it is a very good one, and it's different enough from the others that it's worth your time. Okay, I'm surprised you're that high on it, honestly. Um, So I think that Super Metroid has absolutely stood the test of time. It is a very playable game by today's standards. However, it is also one that I found to be very disappointing. Um, Many people 
you know, they refer to this game as like one of the best games ever made. And for me, that was just not the case. Uh, the controls, to be blunt, felt like ass to me. I never enjoyed controlling Samus throughout the entire playtime, um, even once I got used to it. Um, the exploration I found to be much weaker than a lot of other Metroidvanias because, you know, two parts. One, that the things you are finding um, are just missile upgrades. It's hard because the actual, like, abilities that affect your environment are all really cool and really fun to find. And then on the other half, you have, you know, endless missile upgrades that aren't very fun to find. Uh, and then on top of that, the environmental storytelling is really subpar by today's standards. So I wasn't, you know, dragged through this world intrigued by the, you know, the history and the lore and the, you know, the structure of this place. So, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy, you know, running about and trying to find every little secret like I have done with a lot of games that we've played in the past. Um, like Patrick, I was really down on the moment-to-moment -moment rooms of the game. Uh, I just didn't find many of them fun. The grapple beam and the freeze beam being the exception and being the absolute highlight of the platforming in this game. The boss fights were great, um, but you know, overall I can say that Super Metroid is a decent but not excellent game. Um, it absolutely stood the test of time, so if you have any interest in it, go right ahead. It's not very long, but I would definitely not recommend people to go out of their way for this one. Yeah, so if I had to identify a main point of contention, because there's a few here and there, but I think the main one comes down to controlling sound. And I think that mm. while it was awkward for me at first, I think that what really got, like, the reason I enjoyed controlling Samus is that the ability to kind of move around and shoot felt good to me. Like, I, I enjoyed, you know, being able to jump up and, you know, shoot an enemy at an angle uh, as I was jumping up to do it, and mastering that control scheme felt good to me. I, I think that as you said, the way in which it's used and the way in which the game challenges you with its platforming and stuff doesn't feel great. But like with Castlevania Symphony of the Night, I ultimately enjoyed controlling the character, even if it even if the challenges presented to you were not were not anywhere on the level of Ori or Holy Knight. I mean, Alucard feels great to control. I love jumping around and hitting things with and him. And backsliding. <laughs> yeah, and backsliding constantly. Uh, here, I just, the entire time, I felt frustrated with them. Like, I still, through, after playing the entire game, um, couldn't really tell you how to jump without spinning and how to jump and have your character spin. I don't know what triggers it other than I kind of did it by feel by the end. Uh, and so it kind of. Yeah, I thought so too, but yeah, I, I found in a lot of the tighter boss fights um, that often I wanted to jump and shoot, and then my character would spin. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It was so annoying from start to finish to control. Uh, I think it really undermined my experience and is definitely the you know the primary reason I didn't enjoy it as much as you did. Yeah, very interesting. Oh, well, I mean, I guess we'll just have to let the uh, listeners and those who've uh, played Super Metroid <laughs> let us know what they think. Because I think, yeah, I, I think I can see where you're coming from. I, I just got used to it maybe better than you did. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'd love to hear what other people think about that. Because I think, yeah, when it comes down to it, 
when you play this game, you're controlling the character for hours and hours on end. And if that doesn't feel good, it's hard to feel super positive about the experience as a whole. Absolutely. So that was uh, Super Metroid. Yeah, so thank you everyone so much for listening to our episode on Super Metroid. We were the Retrospectors podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and my co-host is James Turlings. We have many, many podcasts and many different games, including the aforementioned Castlevania Symphony of the Night. You can find all of our content on our website, rspodcast.net. It's got a link to our podcast feed, Spotify links, and you can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, Our website also has a bunch of articles that we've written about old games and new ones, so highly recommend you check it out. Um, From you guys, the number one thing we would love for anyone listening to this is to come join us on our Discord server, tell us your opinion on Super Metroid, tell us why we're wrong or agree with us, either is acceptable. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got a nice little small community going and we're always welcoming others, particularly if it gives us an opportunity to argue more about video games. That's uh, that's what we love to do the most out of anything, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so um, if you have any thoughts on Super Metroid, I would love to hear them, particularly since, you know, I've kind of been going back in time with my Metroidvanias. Like, I started with Hollow Knight, then played Ori, <laughs> then played Castlevania, and now I'm playing Super Metroid. And I'm actually really intrigued in the possibility of doing the original Metroid one day. Oh, no, God, I'm not. <laughs> I've heard, well, I mean, you might not have a choice in the matter, my friend. Welcome to the uh, podcast. But yeah. we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, so please, Patrick, if you pick Metroid 1, I'm picking Lunar 2. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm never picking Metroid 1 then. <laughs> um, so uh, that, that about wraps it up. So, James, um, with uh, you've chosen Super Metroid, so now it goes back to me. I get to choose yep. my game for this fortnight, and uh, I have chosen Warhammer Dawn of War 40,000. It has been a long time since we've done a uh, real-time strategy game. I think the last one we did was Red Alert 2, unless I'm missing. Uh, for, like, was that like episode 5, five or something? Yeah, very, very yeah that's uh, Well, we've gone from uh, a sequel to episode 4, sort of, to 1 to episode 5, so I guess we're <laughs> following some kind of pattern here. Um, yes, but so, yeah, uh, are you very familiar with the 40k universe, Patrick? Um, not not as much as you are, I think. But I have. I don't think I'm that familiar. I have some. I actually do own a set of the minis for um for Kill Team, but I haven't really delved too deep into the like the lore in the world. So I've I've got some limited experience with Dawn of War. Uh, I I have played it before, mainly skirmishes with friends or LAN parties Me back too. in the day. Me too. Um, but I haven't really, you know, played the campaign from start to finish, so I'm excited to do it. My knowledge of Warhammer comes mostly from when I used to go to the library, they had White Dwarf magazines lying around, and I yeah. used to pick <laughs> them up and read the battle reports. The the Warhammer 40k universe does intrigue me. Like I I do like grimdark stuff. Like I I know I know it's become fashionable to hate on nihilistic grimdark stuff, and you know saying we need more positivity and stuff. But that kind of world and world building, particularly the depth of the world building of Warhammer 40k, is kind of fascinating to me. There's a real weight of history on that world. So uh, yeah. I think the most appealing thing is that it takes itself to the point of absurdity. It like kind of loops back from being super grim and serious to being so grim and so serious that it's like 
it's silly again um so yeah i think uh it's got something for everybody and i'm kind of excited to see if uh dawn of one if door dawn of war one is still as fun as i remember when i used to play with friends i kind of the thing is about sorry i know i'm going slightly off topic here but the thing the thing i'm intrigued the most about the world of warhammer 40k has nothing to do with the army or the military i i want to know i've always wanted to know more about like the average people in these societies that create these war machines. And I wonder if there's anything written about it. Maybe someone listening will have an idea because, you know, it's, I know it's, it's a universe that's built up around these figurines, but if there was some information about, you know, Joe, Joe Schmo who lives in Warhammer 40 K society and how (laughs) horrible their life is, I think I'd enjoy reading it. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, Games Workshop, from what I know, is happy to lend out their IP to anybody who will uh, make content for them. So I assume there will be something like that out there. But I have uh, to have a look. yeah, we we'll have to have a look before next episode, uh, which uh, I hope will be a good one. So uh, until then, see you next time, guys. Bye.